comes to introducing the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are outside the walls of this church, this building. I want you to think about that for just a second. I'm going to help you with those answers. But what is our responsibility when it comes to introducing the gospel of Christ to those who are outside the walls of this building? Our families, our friends, our co-workers, so our, our enemies, so on and so forth. What is our responsibility? I think first we have to understand what is the gospel. So Father, help us today. Help us today to see. Help us to hear. Holy Spirit, help us today to interpret righteously what it is that you want to release to us today. Grow us up today. Grow us up today. Cause our minds to be wide open. No matter what we came in as, as I said a moment ago, we might have come in Catholic, Baptist, and came in with a preconceived idea or a pre-taught idea of what the gospel is. But no matter what we came in as, help us today to position ourselves to allow our mind to be renewed, renewed so that in our going out today, it's not about who we were, but it's about who you want us to become. Help us today to do this, Holy Spirit. Help us to see, to understand, and to receive because your anointing is present. Wherever we are, you are. So help us today to make a draw on what you want to do in us. Amen, amen, and amen. Say amen this morning. So what is the gospel? The gospel, if you're following along, if, let me, in fact, let me say this. Download the app, follow along in the app. If you go to this Sunday tab on the app, all of what I'm about to share with you is there, and you can follow along, you can fill in the blanks. What is the gospel? Simply put, the gospel is the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It isn't complicated. The gospel was never meant to be so difficult that a five-year-old couldn't understand it. The gospel is the message of redemption that comes through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now in Scripture, we all know that if we go into the Bible, we dive into that, we know that the first four books of the first, uh, Second Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are considered the Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. However, if we confine the message of Christ to the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark, Luke, and John, if we confine that message of the gospel to those first four books in the Second Testament or New Testament in Scripture, what we're doing is we're, re we're relegating the message of, this, of salvation to the past. We're relegating that message. We are causing that message to exist in something that occurred previously but not necessarily is occurring right now. So while the gospel, it is true that it is a gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, my wife and I are building a home. Our, uh, we sold our home last year. We're building a home right now, and it's taking a while, but we're building a home on a road called Chesterwood Lane. So I would say it this way today, that the gospel today is the gospel not only of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's the gospel on Chesterwood Lane. It's the gospel of whoever you are on whatever road you grew up on. It's the gospel of Highway 46, and it's the gospel of the street you live on. It's the gospel of the break room that you meet in for lunch every day at your workplace. The gospel isn't what was, it is what is. The message of salvation, the message of the resurrection, the message of redemption is not a gospel previous, it is a gospel present. 
It isn't a gospel gone. It is a gospel that is. It isn't a gospel of history. It is a gospel that is yesterday, today, and forevermore. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is present in you and me. I want to read a scripture out of uh, Titus chapter 2. Please go there with me. Titus chapter 2. Beginning with verse 11, it reads like this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. I'm going to read the whole thing again, as I often do when I read the Scripture. I like to read it twice because I like to emphasize the second time a few points. So let me do this again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions. Man, that's powerful all by itself. Again, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What does salvation do when salvation comes to all people? It begins, it's the training process where we, again, where we begin to renounce whatever is ungodly, where we begin to uh, renounce worldly possessions. What does that mean? Does that mean renouncing uh, anything that isn't in the... God didn't create the automobile, so I got to get rid of my car. I got to get rid of... It's not about that. It's about separating ourselves and making... Making our priority honoring Him. Every part of our lives honoring Him and recognizing that He is in every part of your life. The gospel of salvation comes to you and me so that we can recognize that He is in literally every single part of our life. And to enter into anything where He doesn't want to be is to separate Him from us. Or to separate ourselves from Him. So He's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, before I read thirteen, I've, uh, verse 13, I've said this so many times before. My world is a world of... Um, my personality... Uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not even close. Um, but there is a place in my personality, I am driven. When I get up every day, I am driven to do right. My mind, when I get up, I want to make sure that I'm doing right. And then sometimes I do this well, sometimes I don't do it well at all, but I am also driven to help everybody else do it right. I'm driven to, there's a sense of righteous justice that overwhelms me where where it's not okay with me to little things dig deep into me and and I am convicted by any uh, deviance from what I believe the Father really wants from me. I could not go into a hotel. I'm going to use this very loosely because I was in a hotel for a couple days this week. 
I could not go into a hotel like this one that had a sign on the towel in the bathroom that said, if this towel is not here, when, when you check out, we will charge your account $100. Now, when I read that card, I thought to myself, people are going to steal a hotel towel? I mean, they, are, they were nice. I'll give it that. <laughs> But I thought, you have to put that sign up there because someone's going to walk out with a hotel towel. My righteous justice would not allow me to walk. I couldn't even take it outside the door. I, you can ask my wife, if we've gone on vacation and you're supposed to take the room towel to the swimming pool, I have to make sure that that's what you're supposed to do. I don't want to just walk out and then be down the hall and somebody say, where are you going with that towel? I didn't mean to do it. I'm sorry. True. There is a sense of justice in me that I believe grows, has grown as I have developed more and more, as I have become saved in Him. My friend Todd Murner this week, he said, I distinguish salvation from being born again. Born again is that initial moment, and I agree, and I've even taught that. Uh, that born again experience is that moment that we come to Christ, that we, we repent, He forgives us, we're born again into a salvation journey. We're born again into a salvation. Salvation is not instantaneously instantaneous. So growing up in Him, I've developed this sense of self-control that I can't do things. I couldn't, again, I couldn't go into a hotel and walk out with even a pencil, the pen in the room. If I got home and I found that I had that pen, I would feel like I need to repent. I need to call that hotel and say, man, I'm sorry. Somehow this pen got in my briefcase. I, literally, because I could not do that. I don't understand. My mind does not wrap around how some people can walk into a restaurant and walk out with a whatever might be in the restaurant that they want to take home, how they could walk into a hotel and walk out with whatever they... I, my mind does not comprehend that because I think about how I want to... And I'm speaking for Steve, but I think about that zealousness, zealous for good works. I'm, I'm zealous, Father, to honor you. And I, there's that sense in me. It wasn't present before I came to know Him. Before I came to know Him, I would walk into a restaurant or a hotel or a wherever you might be, and, and it wouldn't bother me to walk out with, oh, you know, they can afford this, I'll, you know, it's not, they're not going to miss this whatever, they're not going to miss this towel or whatever. Literally, that would be my mind. But when I came to Christ, as He began to save me, I was born again and He began to save me, I began to see something shifting and switching in me and changing in me, and my attitude for righteousness began to change. Where at one time I had no attitude for righteousness, suddenly I have an attitude for righteous things. I have an attitude not to please me, but I have my attitude was shifting. An attitude to please God. Yahweh, I want to please you. I want my actions to represent you. I want what I'm thinking about, what I'm seeing, what I'm observing. I want it to please you. I don't want to walk away from something. I don't want to find myself with a need to repent every day because I let my man nature, my Adam nature, overwhelm my Christ nature. And I begin to ask Holy Spirit and allow Him, and it, same as you, you have done the same thing, or at least I hope you have. If you haven't, I hope again that I'm provoking this morning, causing you to think. 
But you've come to this place where you are zealous for good works. And he said, we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. He wants to purify. We need to understand that this morning. He wants to purify a people for himself. Are you part of that purification? He wants to purify for himself a people. He wants to set them apart. He wants them to think different. Talk different. He's purifying a people. He wants them to work differently. Treat their husbands and wives differently. Love their children differently. Honor differently. For the peering of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what is the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ? It is that he is received by those to whom he is introduced. The glory of our God is that he is received. He rejoices in the opportunity to be received by those to whom he is introduced. When I stood in that Nazarene church that day, and I stood there and I watched and I observed, I saw this glory of God in this family. I couldn't get what the preacher was saying. I couldn't get what they were singing about. I couldn't get all the bullet points that they went through. I didn't get all of that. It didn't make sense to me. It was odd. It was, it was different. It was boring to me. It really was. But what wasn't was the life as I, lives that I, were wit, I was witnessing. That did not bore me. I was captivated. Captivated by a man who asks a guy who has the potential, if I'm found guilty, to go to Leavenworth prison for a minimum of six months. He's fighting my cause for me. He doesn't even know me. And he's inviting me to his church. And I'm captivated by that. And while everyone's looking at the preacher in the front of the building, I'm with every moment and every chance, I've told you this before, but with every moment opportunity I have, I'm looking to the left. And I'm watching his kids. And I'm seeing this joy. And I'm seeing this, he loves, this family loves being here. Why? Seed was sown that day. I didn't know that. But seed was sown that day. The glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ that Titus is speak, or Paul is speaking of is that he was received by those to whom he is sent. When I went into that assembly of God quite a while later, and I gave my heart to the Father, his glory was revealed the moment I sat down in that choir room. And that youth pastor said to me, will you receive Christ? Long story short, yes, I will. And I never look back. And I want to believe that since July the 8th of 1985 until now, the glory of God has continued and the salvation of Jesus Christ has continued to be revealed in the life of Steve Parker. I never look back. Now, I can tell you, when I got up the next morning... While I was renewed in my spirit, I was not completely renewed in my flesh or mind. I had to work through a lot. I still do. I just don't work through as much. 
And the same is true of you. So let me begin provoking to some degree, exposing. While we were among these men, the purpose of this meeting was to, they didn't know it, but I wanted to talk about building, beginning with salvation. Building the kingdom of God and beginning again with salvation. When I went to Panama City, and I'm going to make this as fast as possible, this story. When I went to Panama City, Florida, before we went there, my wife and I, well, when we went, my wife and I had been married, let's see, about 10 months. She was five months pregnant with Kaylee, my oldest daughter, Kaylee. But when we went there for two and a half years, almost three years prior to going there, I was about two years actually, before we went, I was traveling and she would go with me after we got married, but I was traveling every two weeks out of every month. For two weeks out of every month, I was traveling somewhere and I was preaching. I was doing revival meeting, what we used to call revival meetings, wherever I'd go, where, up the east coast of, of the United States and in, in the Midwest. And I would go wherever and I would preach these revivals again two weeks out of every month. I loved it. That was my life. I really believe, I loved what God had done in me so much and the change that Christ had created in me. I wanted to share it with every single person I knew. And I was very, I didn't have a lot to say because my journey with Him had not been too many years. I mean, this was in, I started in 1987 and I got saved in 1985. So my journey had not been long, so there, weren't, there were not a lot of experiences in my life. But man, I just wanted to share with every single person that I met. And I would go to these churches, and I, and I was just, just passionate about it. When we went to Panama City, Florida, and we got there, the same was true. Nolan Ball said, this is what I want you to do. You're coming here. I want you to continue evangelizing. I want you to do that full time. I want you to go. Uh, wherever you can go, and I want you to minister salvation evangelistically, wherever you go. So for the next two and a half years, my wife and I, her and I together, we traveled. In, in fact, for the first 18 months in Panama City, we were only in Panama City for a couple, two weekends out of the entire 18 months. That's all we were home. So for the first 18 months, we didn't get to know anybody in the church. We didn't get to know Apostle Ball. We didn't get to know anyone because we were on the road every single weekend we would go to some places and we would be in that same place for a month preaching the gospel texas and ohio and tennessee and everywhere everywhere 103 churches 106 churches and go over and over and over again and they would invite us over and over and over again and we would go and we would preach in these churches and it was awesome and we would watch and see what god did and and watch souls being added to the kingdom and it was phenomenal it was incredible in my, I was full, I was full, I was overflowing with, with the ability and the, the, the anointing to be able to minister the gospel of salvation to people that Christ had anointed me to minister that gospel. He had privileged me to minister that gospel. And then after that couple years that we were there and we were on the road, I got to a church. Kim did not go with me to this particular church and it was like a light switch. And, and I get to this particular church and, and I've told you this again. And I stand in front of this church in Bryant, Alabama. And as I stand in front of this church, it's a, it was a great church. We had been there together numerous times. 
And I'm standing in front of this church. It's Father's Day. I start the meeting on Father's Day. It's a week-long meeting. And I get out my Bible that my dad, before I got saved, my dad had given me a Bible when I was about 14 or 15 years old, and he'd wrote a, he had written a message in the front of it. And he just talked about how he loved me and how he believed that God had a plan for my life. And no matter what I did or how far I tried to run, that, that, I, that God would find me. And he wrote this message, and he filled the front pages of that Bible. Now, when he wrote that to me, I, the last thing I was concerned about was knowing my dad's God. The last thing I was interested in was God finding Steve. But as I read that that day, and I stood before those people in this congregation, there was two sections that went way back. And I was preaching, and I, or not preach. I started to, and I opened that Bible up, and I start reading in the front. And I said, I'm just going to read to you on this Father's Day to honor my dad. I want to read to you what he wrote in the front of this Bible. And I start reading, and my face is looking down, and I'm looking at these words, and I'm reading these words, and all of a sudden I hear noise shifting, bodies moving. And I don't look up. It could be anything. Somebody could be taking their child to the nursery, or somebody could be moving their seat or coming in. I don't know. And I'm reading this, and I hear shifting, and then I hear crying. I hear some stirring over here to my right. See it out of the perif my peripheral vision. And I finish reading and I look up. And not a single person in that congregation, there's probably 300 people there. Maybe a little more, a few less. And I look out over that congregation, there's not a single person sitting in a seat. Not one person. You could look across there, the pews, the chairs were completely empty. Every single person in that building, it was though they carpeted the floor of that auditorium. Every person was laying on their face. Some were crying, some were just quiet, but they were laying there. I didn't know what to do. I thought, this is really strange. So I go over to the pastor, look over here to him. He and, his, he and the worship leader are both laying down, same thing. They're laying straight down on the ground, crying. He's crying. And I went over to him and I tapped him and I said, Pastor, what do you want me to do? He said, just be still. And I go back over and I've, back then everything was written on a piece of paper and I had what notes I had written on a yellow pad. And I'm just staring at that yellow pad and then I hear a man's voice out in the auditorium just scream, God, save me. It got my attention, obviously, as it would yours. And I look up and I see this man with his hands in the air and he begins to make his way to the front. Then another one over here. God, save me. And she begins to make her way to the front. And then another. And then another. And they're getting up off of the floor. God, save me. Most supernatural thing I ever saw in ministry that I had been a part of. And they begin to come and they begin to stand across the front and we begin to minister to those that were standing there. I'm weeping, I'm sobbing because I'm seeing the glory of the Lord. I'm seeing the glory of the salvation of Christ. They didn't need me to lay hands on them. The moment they threw their hands up in the air and they said, God save me, God saved them. But I came into agreement with everyone because I didn't know what to do any different. I thought it was... It was absolutely necessary for me to lay my hands on their head. I want to finish the job. <laughs> I've been taught you got to finish what you started. 
I didn't start it, but I thought I must finish it. And we laid hands on them, the pastor and me. We laid hands on these. And you would think, the whole while, I mean, people, it's, it's so, the, the power and the anointing of God is so thick in that building. I, I promise you, you could, you could cut it with an, it was tangible. And you would think that everything in me would have celebrated. Shh, sorry. That everything in me would have celebrated what happened in that service. And I walked out of that meeting that night. It was actually that night that the pastor extended the meeting. But I walked out of that meeting that night. I went to the hotel room and I called Nolan Ball and I said, Sir, I said, I don't even know how to explain it. I told him what happened. I said, but I feel completely incomplete. I feel completely and totally lost. Not lost in the sense of without God, but lost what now? And he said, come home. And I said, we just extended the meeting tonight. I'm here until whatever it was. And, and he said, I want you to call that man. I want you to tell him that you're, you're finished. Come home. So I did. I called him up and I said, Pastor, I said, I got to tell you, this is where I'm at. I love what Holy Spirit did tonight in your house. And he did it. But I'm going home. And the rest is up to you. And I did. I left. And when I got to Panama City, there was, a, my point being, when I came, there was such a passion for evangelism, such a passion for salvation in my heart and soul. It was who I was. It made, me, made my heart beat fast, made me talk fast, made me want to run. And I got to Panama City, and Apostle Ball, first thing he said to me was, he said, you're done with that. That's not who you are. And this is what I want you to do. And he gave me a new assignment. I immediately felt myself dying on the vine. I immediately felt myself losing sight of what salvation is. Now listen, that time was on him, but he was doing what he knew to do and he did what he needed to do in order to get me where I needed to be. So please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. And, but I felt myself dying on the vine. So then I went to him a couple years later when I was so dry and I just, I, oh, so bad I wanted to see people added to the kingdom of God, especially these, these new understandings of what the kingdom is as I sat at his feet and I learned from him man all I want to do is introduce everybody to that I want to tell the guy down at the market I want to tell the guy at the trailer park I want to tell them wherever they are I just want to go and I want to tell them how incredible that this is how it can change their life are you with me this morning and none of that was happening and I finally went to him and I said sir I just want to minister salvation to people I really, I just want to go and I want to give people an opportunity to come to know God. Sir, you have a great message, but it does not include salvation. And I really want to lead people to Christ. And he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Every Sunday, you're going to preach for 20 minutes, not 19, not 21. You're going to preach evangelistic for every, every uh, 20 minutes every single Sunday, and then I'll preach after you. And I thought, well, that's probably not going to go over very well, but that's what you want to do. And for a long time. 
Every Sunday I would preach for 20 minutes, not 19, not 21. I had a little clock on the thing, made sure I lined up with that, but I would preach salvation. And I watched the first day that I preached the message of salvation in that house that I was there. I remember watching this particular person come down that was in the military and he came down and when I gave the appeal, he came down and gave his heart to Christ. Repented, sobbing, tears in his eyes, strong guy. And his family did. And I watched him get saved and become an integral part of that ministry before they moved. They had to move away years later, but became an integral part of that ministry. And I preached every single week. And then... I went to him and I said, sir, I would like to start an evangelistic center on Highway 231, which was just down the road from the church, probably three miles. I said, I would like to start an evangelistic center. He said, why? I said, I just want to preach salvation. I want to preach Christ. I want to preach the gospel in its simplest form. I want to lead people to Christ. And he said, if you can do it there. Why can't you do it here? <laughs> and there's no good answer. And um, so we started, we purchased a sign and everything, and just about the time we were going to put the sign up, Evangelistic Center, the Rock Evangelistic Center, had already bought it, it was already delivered. And we were, myself and Joe Howard, Prophet Joe Howard, we were about to go put that sign up, and he called me into his office and he said, throw it away. I said, sir. He said, throw it away. He said, we're not doing that. And it was sometime later. I was so discouraged. And then it was sometime later he sent us here to Central Florida. He didn't send us here. He sent us to wherever Holy Spirit put in our heart to go, and it was here. And he sent us here. And when we came in here, I'm going to tell you my heart beat. My heart, my, my, what made my heart beat was the thought, I am going to introduce people to Christ who have never met Him. I'm going to show them the shallow places and I'm going to show them the deep places. And we, again, I felt invigorated, born again. And we went out, or I went out, and I hung almost 9,000, we ordered 10,000, I hung out almost 9,000 door hangers by myself on houses all over Sanford by where the storefront used to be. Some of you got those. If you still have one, I need a copy of it. But hung almost 9,000 door hangers before someone else helped me with a remainder. And out of that, we begin to build the Rock of Central Florida. And people begin to come. My heart was invigorated. And I was stirred. We begin to do things that were evangelistic not because of the word but evangelistic because there was an introduction of Christ in the things that we were doing and it was exciting then we I'm skipping ahead then we built this building and because of the county restrictions they didn't allow us to do some things that we used to do we could no longer do the grocery giveaways we weren't allowed to do still aren't technically we can't give away groceries out here we can't have a, a ministry in our parking lot that ministers to the community we do the fall festival, but if we do it under the name of the church, they won't allow it. It's a true story. Why? I have no idea. Whoever asked why, I have no idea. 
probably because of the neighborhood behind us. But we weren't allowed to do that, and I felt like I felt quashed again. You've not heard me say this, but I felt reduced again to having to find a strategic way to minister the gospel that would still allow for salvation. And that was on me because I began to shift that and focus less on the simplicity and more on those formative things, the fivefold, Holy Spirit, tongues, those things that are formative, important. But the most imperative is salvation. So we're shifting. Two years ago, almost two years ago, Holy Spirit began to deal with me and began to awaken me again. And he began to do some personal things in me that you have not been aware of. My wife has. Some of you have. But he's begun to do some personal things in me. And awaken those dormant places in me again that had become dormant for lack of knowing how to move forward. And that is what this meeting was about for me. How can we build again? Let's help one another build again with the foundation being Christ, the concrete being salvation. How can we introduce people into the kingdom of God? Not assume that everybody coming in our doors already knows Christ. Even if they think they know Christ. Because as I said, when people come in, they come in and they believe, hey, listen, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I'm whatever. Until we can change that thinking. We're stuck. And he... The first message that he gave me when he began to deal with me and awaken me again was that message until. The series until. And I begin to see, we cannot get here until we do this. This cannot happen until this happens. And we went on a journey together. In that series of until. And we begin to move forward with titles and with some of the things that begin to shift and begin to change. In order that we might get to the place where no matter who comes through these doors, they're not put off by what they don't understand. They put on the gospel that is present here. So what is the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ? It is that He received, He is received by those to whom He is introduced. And I want to introduce Christ again in all of our times together. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I've never, let me just say it this way. I can tell you I have never been ashamed of the gospel. It is a fire in my bones uh, and it, I am never in a place where I am reluctant or afraid to say this is what God's done in me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There is power in the gospel of salvation.
Do you hear me this morning? There is power. Say it with me. There is power in the gospel of salvation. Ooh, man, there is. When I heard it, it completely reconstructed my being. There is power in the gospel of salvation. In fact, when I first witnessed it in that family, it began then, began then to undo and unravel and peel off all the things that had hindered me from ever receiving that gospel until I had come to a point where that gospel could penetrate me and completely redeem me. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel of Mark, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John is that story of the resurrection of Christ and how He redeems mankind. I'm going to tell you your gospel today is no different. Your gospel is the gospel of the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ, how He changed you, how He took you out of one place and brought you to another. So I want to begin a journey. I want to begin a journey. I don't even know what it's going to look like. I have no idea what it's going to look like, what this journey is going to look like. Next week I'm going to be addressing the mamas, and I'm glad to. And then following that, we're going to jump right back into this. But I don't even know what it's going to look like. All I know is I made some points here that I want you to consider, and we're going to start with self-awareness. Are you ready? If you have the app, open the app and go to Sunday, this Sunday. But I'm going to give you some points, and if you have something to write with, I want you to write these questions down. Is your born-again story taboo? And I'm talking about taboo to you or taboo to others. Is it a story you're afraid to tell? Or is it a story that others don't want you to tell? You have to decide for yourself. Is, it, is your story of salvation a story you're afraid to tell? Or is it simply taboo because it's a story others don't want you to tell? You decide that for yourself. When was the last time, second question, when was the last time that you shared your faith with someone? The gospel of salvation in you. When was the last time? You, don't answer me here. But I want you to answer that for you. When was the last time you shared the gospel of salvation with someone? When was the last time that you showed any measure of zealousness? If you met the woman at the well, third question, if you met the woman at the well, would you know what to say to her? If you came to her, would you know how to lead her into a salvation experience? Would you know how to lead her into a born-again experience so that a journey could begin for her life? Would you know what to say to this woman at the well? If the answer is, and for most, it probably is this. For most, it probably is. I wouldn't know where to even begin. And if we don't know where to begin there, that is why there's a reluctance to even share our story in the first place. And then I want you to write for yourself. This is more of a statement. This is more of something I want you to do for yourself as well. Share one instance in the past week. Think of, consider, one single instance in the past week where you had the opportunity to share Christ, but you did not. 
I'm not talking about forcibly. I think Todd Murner or somebody said it. I think it was Todd or maybe George Brantley said it this week. He said that there's, uh, Sam, you reminded me of it yesterday. How was it said the, about um, the moment that came and he didn't realize it was there? He gives you spoon-fed opportunities. How many do you miss? You walk into a moment, you have a spoon-fed opportunity not to cram the gospel down somebody's throat. Again, that goes back to the woman at the well. That's one, you know that. It's one of my favorite stories. Somebody else at the meeting said it was one of theirs. And you can, I can tell you, it isn't about cramming the gospel down someone's throat, but it's about being available to recognize where they are. And the answer to someone's trouble with their children or their wife or their job isn't get another job, get another husband, get another wife, get some more kids. That isn't the answer. The real answer is, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Is anybody hearing me this morning? Is there, this is a question for you, is there a passion? These are my provocative questions. Is there a passion to share Christ in you? You don't have to answer me. I mean, I want you to answer yourself. Is there a passion... To share Christ in you. Again, not in the way where we're cramming and we're forcing things to happen. I told you about the story when I was a youth pastor and, and I went to Panama City, uh, not Panama City, what was that beach outside Panama City? Destin. We had gone to Destin and we're over there in the beach and somebody said, what we need to do is we need to link arms and everybody that we touch, we're going to lead them to Jesus. I said, I'm not linking arms with anybody and I'm not doing that. <laughs> Me and my group are not participating in that because that's foolishness. And all that's going to do is make a bunch of people mad. Because you got in their way. You're keeping them from getting in the water or whatever. You're making them get sunburned because they're standing out in the open listening to you talk for 30 minutes. And if they had the guts, they would tell you, please shut up. Get out of my way. Let me go get my ice cream cone. We don't just get to make up the moment. We don't just get to decide for ourselves when the moment will be. He will provide the moment and then He will cause us to walk into it. Is there a passion to recognize the moments that He gives you? And then what if there is no passion or desire to share Christ? What about the person that might be sitting here under the sound of my voice right now and you say, I don't even have a passion to share Christ. I'm thankful for what Christ has done in my life, but there's really no zeal or no passion in me. If, he, if you will allow Him to do something brand new in you, I want to tell you, you're going to want to tell somebody about it. These are so simple. These statements, these questions are so simple. But I'm going to tell you, I, He has restored in me the passion that He brought me into the kingdom with. The day, the day I got saved, the day I was born again, the day I began my salvation journey, that very day, I could not, you couldn't shut me up. I, wanted to, I took my cousin, I took my little sister who might be watching right now, my little seven-year-old sister, I was 20 years old. I took my little seven-year-old sister with me to church and I would take her every Sunday with me because I just, anybody that could, that could get what I got, I just wanted them to get it. I invited everybody I knew. Didn't matter where they were, I'd go to work, I'd invite them to go with me. Now, I did some things that were foolish back then because that's all I knew to do. But man, I tell you what, I didn't lack. I did not lack zeal. And, I did not, and you know what I don't lack today? I do not lack zeal and I do not lack passion. And I do not lack a zeal for righteousness. 
So in order to move into this place, for Him to prepare a place, for Him to prepare you and for, to prepare me to come into these places where there's a salvation opportunity, where there's a journey opportunity there in front of us, for Him to prepare, He's got to prepare us. We've got to become jealous for the things that He's jealous about. It has to matter to us. I want to give him something to work with. I don't want to fill my head, my mind, my eyes, my spirit, my soul with a bunch of nonsense throughout the week and then not be ready when the opportunity comes because I'm so full of doo-doo that I can't do what I'm supposed to do. Do you hear me this morning? So I hope I'm provoking this morning. You have something of eternal value in you. (laughs) I have something of eternal value in me. Look to the person beside you and tell somebody. You might have to look both ways. But tell them, you have something of eternal value in you. Now say, let's begin the journey of sharing it. Mm. I'm going to ask you to help me do something. I want you to help me reach people and introduce them to the power of salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We've always made room for people who did not know Christ, but we've never made room enough. I said to somebody this morning, I don't know who it was I said it to, I think my wife or somebody, I said it to someone this morning, I said it, I know I said what I'm about to say, but I said to someone this morning, I said, you know, as I look through the scripture and I look through the life of Christ, which I've done regarding what I'm about to say sometime now. But as I look through Scripture and I consider the ministry of Christ, it was never, never more than about anything other than coming to Him. He never complicated the gospel, not one time. I said to those men when we were meeting this weekend, it was a wonderful meeting and it was a wonderful time and we, we made some ground. But the first day when I came out with this whole thing about salvation and I said, talked about winning souls, there was crickets because in every meeting we've ever had before it was about what we consider deep things you know it's about the fivefold and the apostolic and the prophetic and the names and the whatever and all these other different things these deep holes that we get in and we're always trying to sort out why we got there and and what it means and it's important it's formative but when I said when we took it a different direction, and I had prepared them because I'd sent everybody an email and said, we're going in a different direction, but it was crickets. There was one person in there, I think, that was as excited as me to be able to talk about that, and he had some things to say, certainly. But I left that meeting on Tuesday, and I was very frustrated because I'm in a room full of preachers, and only one of them to sort of had anything to say about the about building 
on the gospel of salvation. So we started the meeting the next morning and we started with worship and praise. It was incredible, the song that we did this morning that Kaylee wrote and the team, it was amazing. And they were there and present and I'm so thankful for their support. And I started the meeting and I said, I'm convinced of this. If I had said yesterday, I told them, I said I was very disappointed in yesterday. Because no one was engaging with the exception of myself and one other person. And then one person made one comment. One other person made one comment. That was it. And we were there for a month of Sundays, it felt like. And, <laughs> the, and I got up and I said, I'm convinced of this. I talked about salvation and it was crickets. But if I had started the meeting yesterday, let's talk about the ecclesia. Or let's talk about the fivefold ministry. Or let's talk about names of God. Let's talk about titles in the church and talk about where they fit in. If, if I said that, it would be endless conversation and I wouldn't have been able to keep anybody's mouth shut. It would have been endless. But we talked about salvation and it was like nobody had anything to say. And I said, that concerns me. That's concerning to me. I said, those things are all formative. But salvation is imperative. And I said, if we continue to teach only that, and we continue to focus only on those things, at some point, the people you're teaching that to are going to be gone. There is a process of elimination. People pass, people move, people are gone. They're going to be gone. And if we're not leading people to Christ, who will fill your seats then? And who will you talk to at that point? Because the kingdom's supposed to be ever increasing. And then somebody said something and then somebody said something, somebody else said something and then it just began to boil over and it was powerful. The things that were in their heart and, and as they, once they could get past, this isn't like the rest of the times that we were together. Once they, everyone got past that, there was this sense of, we are going to lay hold of something different. We are going to get our attention focused again on the very beginning of all of this, which is Christ, Him crucified and resurrected. Get our attention focused on that again. And man, the conversation from there, it was just, it was, inc some of the things that were said was amazing. And then the information since then, the, the, the texts and the emails I've received since then have been phenomenal. I tell you all that to tell you this. Sometimes we need to be awakened. I don't nor do you always know who it's going to be that will awaken us. But I hope today I'm being used to awaken you and me. Holy Spirit has awakened me. I hope he, you're, He's using me this morning to awaken you. People can come into the church, and there probably always will be those that come into the church, and I'm going to wrap it up. I really am. But there's always going to be those that come into the church, and they're going to come, and they're going to listen, they're going to hear, but they will never engage. There's always going to be those people. But there also always better be those people who are going to be ready when they're ready to get past where they are. Does anybody hear me this morning? So we're on a journey. We're going to begin to put focus on where the focus needs to be again. That is my heart. I am not an evangelist. 
I'm not an apostle. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. What am I leaving out? Prophet. I'm not a prophet. As I said to those people there that day, I said, I'm a little bit of all of those whenever I need to be whatever I need to be. I can be apostolic. I can be prophetic. I can be pastoral. I can be all of those. But the beginning of the day and the end of the day, I'm Steve. And I'm a man that he called to be a witness and a testimony just like you. I'm a man that he called and he put something in my heart. He put something in my spirit. And I can tell you that what he's done in my life, I believe he can do in anybody's life. And I can tell you that the Steve Parker that stands before you today is a transformed, changed man. Had you known me before Christ, you would not be sitting here among us today. But I can tell you, knowing what he's done in me, I know the whole story. You know your whole story. You know the rascal that you were and the rascal you might still be. But what, you, what I hope you also know is that no matter how rascally you are, He loves you, you matter to Him, He wants to redeem that rascal in you so that you represent Him in every corner of the earth. That's what He wants to do in you and in me. He wants to change us, Tim. He wants to renew our mind. He wants to cause us again to wake up with a hunger and to go to bed with a hunger. He wants us to wake up wondering, who will you send to me today or who will you send me to today? And He wants us going to bed wondering the same thing. I'm telling you, there is a word in you. There is a word, and if there is not a word in you, let's pray for you today so that there is a word present in you. There is an anointing in you. There is a purpose. There is a calling. This is the time and this is the moment. The earth needs the Christ, the Son of the living God. All the earth needs the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's be faithful over what He put in you and me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would, please. We're beginning this journey. Next week, again, is about mamas. But after that, we're going to dive into some things Holy Spirit has given given me. And I'm going to begin to lead you on a journey. I'm going to get back to what my original passion was. And I'm going, to, I'm going to begin to teach you some things that he used to walk me through. That was so invigorating to me, I just I couldn't shut my mouth. Yeah. I will shut my mouth. I won't keep it open too long. I'll break it up in segments. But I'm looking forward to what is to come. I hope you will be a part. And I hope you will bring people with you. I said to someone this week, I said there was a time that some of you, two of you are in this room right now. Two people that are in this room, and other people have said it as well that are not in this room, but there are two people in this room right now that have come to me at different times in the past and said, you know, I really want to invite people to come here, but I'm afraid of how they might respond. That wasn't on them, that was on me. Because I gave room, and I presented something that forced people to do their very best to grab a hold of. But we didn't give them the keys to the kingdom. We gave them a key to the kitchen. We gave them a key to the closet once they got in, but we didn't invite them in. I want to tell you today, if you've ever been reluctant to invite anybody to come and be a part of what the Father's doing here, may that reluctance be removed now. I think that changed some time ago, but I want to make sure that you're aware today. If that is you. Father, I lift my voice over the people standing here in front of me today. With me today, we stand before you. Put your hands on yourself if you would, please. And just say this with me. Say, Father, Father, forgive me me. for the moments I've missed it. it. 
Forgive me for the moments I've looked over it or passed it. Forgive me for those spoon-fed moments that I didn't recognize. Forgive me. My heart is after you. You don't have to say this. Father, our heart is after you. We are passionate about what you're passionate about. We are zealous for the things that matter to you. We are jealous for the things you are jealous about. Help us today to have the strength, the nature, and the courage to be a witness and a testimony of what you have done in our lives. How you've changed us. We don't have to make anything up. We don't even have to study to be a testimony. We just have to tell our story. That's the gospel we need to know. Help us, Holy Spirit. Make a way. Give us opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. Amen. I bless you today and thank you today as we engage and we enter in and we move forward. One of the men that was in this meeting, it blessed me so much. One of the meeting that one of the gentlemen that were here, he and I tend to almost always, in fact, always, except for this meeting, but always uh, he and I engage. um, Our voices get elevated a little bit when he and I engage on principle and and doctrinal issues and what have you we tend to do that we don't dislike each other we just we just tend to have argument there was none of that in this meeting in fact he sent me a text was incredible and I'm going to paraphrase it but he sent me a text uh, after the meeting and he just said he said I want you to know he said I'm on my way home right now and I'm not there yet but I have already contacted my staff And I told them to begin to listen to Holy Spirit about how we can introduce Christ into our community again. That's huge. Huge. I'm ready to go on a journey, are you? You have a story. It's your own. The reason most people are afraid to share the the gospel is because they're trying to share someone else's gospel. There is only one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But from the perspective of someone else. Share how the gospel has changed you. That's all you need to say. You don't need to know how Matthew did it or Mark did it or Luke did it or John did it. You don't need to memorize any scripture. You simply need to say, let me tell you how God changed me. And if he did it for me, he will do it for you. Amen. Love you. Bless you.